You're listening to episode 154 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to mourn the death of Phil, who succumbed to the con crud. <laughs> oh no. He yeah he couldn't he couldn't stand up much longer every swamp thing and man thing in there infested phil (laughs) i love i love the idea that you died from being infested by like the green like it like went in you to take you over and it's just like not a viable host we're just offing this guy the first thing it did was purge every every bit of coke zero from my body and then it just put me out of my misery the fact that you drink coke zero (laughs) <laughs> that's what he that's why he got killed yeah that's, that's what he deserved and and then i threw up from drinking too much alcohol that's the thing that Again? happened yeah it's true y'all so it is new york comic-con weekend for us for you listening to this now that weekend has just passed or if you're listening later maybe it's a ways away but uh we have been together of course covering all of the news working the show floor Artist Alley was basically where we lived all weekend long, and uh, we had an absolute blast. We're going to be talking to you guys about our experiences there. Uh, Sorry, because we are all absolutely exhausted, but we have a lot to say anyways, because... It's midnight on Saturday, guys. We have a lot to say anyways, (laughs) because it's been one hell of a weekend so far, and we've got one day left to go. Uh, No Kale this week, since he, you know, didn't... He decided not to show up for New York Comic Con. Because he's a European. Yep. Um, but before we get into our wrap-up and all things NYCC and Powers of... or I'm sorry. Uh, House of X, number six. Because we will be reviewing that a little bit later. Um, I do want to let you guys know where you can find us all over the internet. We are the Comics Pals. Which means that if you type the Comics Pals in your search bar, we will come up. If someone else comes up, that'd be really weird, right? After three years, we better come up. We'll have to fucking fight them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we are the comics pals at gmail.com if you want to write to us. And if you want us on social media, we are the comics pals all over there as well. Make sure that you guys are doing your best to help us out if you enjoy what we do by spreading the word and making sure that on any platform you listen to us, you're dropping those likes, subscribing or following, whatever the, uh, whatever the uh, equivalent is on your platform. And uh, spreading the gospel. Leave that sweet review. Yeah, leave us a review. Make it a five-star review or, you know, whatever you feel like we deserve. It's cool. We understand. A five-star review? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, What we think we deserve? We are five-star men, so. Well, there's four of us today, so, you know, do what you will. No, but we're five stars in quality, each of us. Um, Kale's Kale's number five on the tier, right? You know, the fans have spoken. True, true. Um, speaking of fans, we actually had the opportunity to meet uh, Ryan, who was a regular writer, Ryan. <laughs> a regular writer into the show. Uh, we met him at the con, which is super cool. Um, he was he was very nice. Thank you so much for you know your kind words and uh, you know just just hanging out. Wish we had gotten a picture. That would have been cool. Yeah. I wanted to meet up again before we headed out, but we ended up getting real busy in the afternoon. Um, and I, I wanted to give you a sticker too, Ryan. So if you want to hit us up and you know shoot us an email or whatever with your address or something, we can send you something in the mail. Care Sorry, I missed you, Ryan. Oh, that's right. Oh, that would have been cool. Yeah, 
if you would have been able to meet him. My bad, y'all. <laughs> Where were you? It would have been really great if you showed up for our fans, Phil. I think I was meeting Scott Hall and Kevin Nash when that happened, actually. Uh, no, you weren't, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> Wait, really? I thought that's when it happened. No, it didn't. Definitely not. Dang. <laughs> you, you, uh, you would actually run into Plaid Klaus uh, moments after we met up with Ryan. Oh, I didn't even know you guys knew I ran the plaid. <laughs> well, I deduced it because he told us to be that to that he needed to be aware that he was going to be running into us. So I thought, well, who else could have told him that? But you. Yeah, we have a hive mind. Uh, it was funny actually when we talked to Ryan. He said I saw Phil, but he was talking to somebody. Oh, he must right. have seen you talking yeah. to Plaid. So uh, I do want to. Wow, what a world! I do want to get into a recap of what we experienced this weekend. So many interviews, uh, discussions with creators, you know, all that kind of good stuff. It's a lot of fun. It's a lot of work. All of that you can find on our YouTube page. It's going to be rolling out over the next, you know, couple few weeks. Uh, we, we've got a, a lot of interviews, over a dozen. And uh, I think we're just going to, I'm going to rattle off some names of the people that we talked to. And, of course, for some of them, we will have more to say than others. And I'm going to just lead off with absolutely the biggest name that we spoke to, of course, which was Robert Kirkman. What up, my boy? That's all you got? Yo, okay, so this is a story, guys. <laughs> this is a cool-ass story. So, all right, we are hanging out in Artist Alley, like Sean said. Uh, we were set up to interview uh, Mr. Declan Shalvey, uh, who's oh, yeah. supposed to be coming on the show. Um, so keep your eyes tuned for that interview and that episode. Uh, but um, so we're hanging out there. We, I was actually on the phone with my girlfriend, and out of nowhere, Sean like runs over to me, and he's like, yo, man, is that Kirkman over there? And I see him, or I get up to go look, and it was 100% Kirkman. Um, so I waited until he was done talking with Deck, and uh, I went up to him, shook his hand, told him I was a huge fan, and uh, was like, hey, man, look, I know you're probably super busy, but I've got to shoot my shot here. Um, I'm a huge fan of your work. I've got a podcast. I would love to get to interview you and pick your brain. Like, you know, even if you don't have time this weekend, if we can get in touch or something, you know, let me know, and I'd love to get to chat with you. And uh, he pulls out his phone and starts going through his calendar, and he's like, I got 10 minutes right now, and... Thankfully, we were already set up right there. Like called Marco it. Pivot. Yeah, Marco comes. I, I I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go ask him. Marco goes, what if he says yes right now? And I was like, he's not gonna fucking say yeah, yes yeah, right yeah, now. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely called it, my friend. <laughs> Whipped it. And Marco, like a true professional, fucking whips the camera over, sets it up real quick, and yeah, we we knocked it out, man. That was a good interview. That I, was energy. I, I feel like it went well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I just, you know. Um, Lord knows, I'm sure he won't hear this, but uh, I just, again, so huge thank you to Robert. Um, you know, obviously, he's my favorite writer, so it's really cool getting to chat with him. But, you know, he's also one of those comic creators that has absolutely, you know, entered the strata of celebrity. He obviously had a lot of shit on his plate that day. Um, and the fact that he took that 10 minutes that he could have spent, you know, not talking to human beings or using the bathroom or whatever else um, with me is something I really appreciate. And I think uh, it speaks to the fact that, like, he's definitely not forgotten where he's come from. Yeah. You know, like he's still a man of the people, uh, I think, is what Plaid said on Instagram. Um, and I, I definitely from the two times I've I've interacted with the guy, um, that's been my experience. So. 
Um, really, really, really great experience for me. And uh, one that I'm super thankful for. I can't wait for you, for you listeners to get to uh, check it out. Yeah. Thank you for your pity. <laughs> for my pity? or Oh, for his. Yeah. I mean, yeah, whatever. Fine. I'll take Kirkman's pity. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take Kirkman's anything. I'm a sad, strange little man, and he brings joy into my life. He's Buzz Lightyear, and you're Woody. Okay. That means we end up best friends. That's a great scenario for me. <laughs> if I become best friends with Robert Kirkman because of this interview, uh, yeah, that sounds great. No matter how you slice it, Pete wins. Yeah, right? And and I will say, I just, I'll just i put this on the table right now, similar to Robert Kirkman. Oh, no. Uh, when I blow up, I wouldn't leave you guys behind. I oh, wouldn't forget where I come from. You know? Friggin' God. Uh, I'm not. I'm not I'll uh, leave Phil behind, but Sean even, and Marco, you guys are cool. Uh, that's, that's not even uh, whatever. Um, so <laughs> we, we spoke to a lot of other people. We spoke to Victor Dandridge, who is, you know, a, a great friend of the show. We spoke to Dirk Manning, who we always love talking to. Thank you so much for your time. In graciousness, uh, we spoke to Al Ewing. That was a big one for Phil. Yeah. Yep, that sure was a big one. That was a really long one. Uh, as a result, a lot of the questions I asked kind of got left on the table. Uh, so you can expect to see him on our show uh, at some point in 2020, I imagine. So yeah. that would be really rad. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you also spoke to Declan Shalvey, who you have a great relationship with. Yeah, great guy. Uh, this is our second interview. Uh, we did one uh, two years ago, and uh, we uh, have tentatively scheduled an interview with him as well. Uh, he, he'll he be promoting his sequel to his image book, Savage Town. And uh, now back to you, Sean. You uh, you got to interview someone pretty uh, pretty big this weekend too. Uh, one Matthew Rosenberg. Yes, yes. I was lucky enough to interview Matthew Rosenberg, who was very gracious with his time, and uh, I I think it was really really awesome. Uh, yeah, that was one of the best interviews of the weekend. I think I'm more than happy with how it turned out, and uh, I'm hopeful. That it's not the last time that we will speak, but uh, I really look forward to you guys being able to see that interview and and uh, give your feedback. You know, um, he's a writer who's definitely leaving his mark at Marvel and um, has done a lot of really cool stuff. So if you guys are fans of that, make sure that you check out that interview. As with all the other ones, uh, we'd be here all day if we were listening off. <laughs> The interviews that just we real quick yeah. uh, also check out our four kids book club if you're a fan of Matthew Rosenberg. That was a great episode. Uh, and here's a nice little tease. Uh, we did do a lot of interviews, and one of our guests was very rude to Pete because I asked him to be very rude to Pete. <laughs> <laughs> yes, man. I asked for it, so it's not their fault. It's no, my fault. But uh, watch all our videos and figure out which which guest was which one be. was it. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler alert: It was Robert Kirkman. <laughs> oh man! Yeah. So, like I said, lots of lots of stuff to see on our YouTube page. So make sure to check that out real quick. Uh, just everyone's favorite moment from the weekend. Mine's easy. Interviewing Robert Kirkman. Right. That's a you know that was a big moment for me, and that made the weekend for me. Uh, for me, it was definitely getting to see people that we've, as I usually mentioned, like people that we've met in the past. I got to reconnect with uh, Gavin Smith, 
over who who has a book called Dead Legends over with a Wave Blue World. Really cool guy. Um, Greg Anderson, who we interviewed with as Nana, uh, the Wear Spider back at Keystone Comic Con. Just getting to connect with some people. Oh, uh, uh, was it Darren from Ahoy Comics who was just walking the floor, came up to us. He's like, yo, what's I good? I didn't even know that. That's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, came up to me and Phil. We were just like, yo, what's going on? Like, hey, man. Uh, yeah, just getting like to to chit chat with people that you know we're we're slowly meeting in the circuit in the con circuit, you know. Yeah, absolutely. My favorite thing was throwing up in Marco's toilet. <laughs> <laughs> Can I change my answer? My favorite thing was pulling Phil's dead body off the bathroom floor. <laughs> <laughs> Legitimately, that was my though. coming to Christ moment. I learned a lot about myself. Um. Uh, I got a I got a commission from Phil Seavey that was really nice. Oh yeah, um, oh, yeah the mullet Superman. <laughs> yeah, so he asked me what I wanted, and I told him I wanted Superman, and he asked which version, and I said I want your version. And so with his inspiration, he uh, he did his version of the Superman from uh, from after he was revived uh, after the death of Superman in the 90s where he was wearing the black suit with the silver S with the black mullet and uh, that was pretty nice um, um, yeah and also just oh one other little highlight uh, talk uh, getting a friend of the show Jordan Gibson to record an embarrassing video for Kale <laughs> That humiliated and embarrassed Kale troll was very good as well. <laughs> That's beautiful. Any any time that uh, we can get some someone to trash Kale's uh, a good time. <laughs> no, I he mean, didn't even trash him. He said he he liked Kale and he's great. And Kale was embarrassed because he can't handle compliments or praise. Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, so really, anytime we can make Kale uncomfortable. Oh, well, that's not as fun. <laughs> Uh, as for me, I think that all of the weekend was so awesome that it, I wouldn't even feel right uh, highlighting one particular thing. But it's really always very good to see uh, the pals, the rest of the pals, uh, doing so well and getting to have experiences that are, you know, uh, meaningful um, and you know, thriving in general. It's always it's always really gratifying. Um, seeing all the fans, not fan, not our fans, of course, that's cool too, but, you know, fans at these conventions and stuff like that is really great. And New York Comic Con is a time where we get to see a lot of people that we don't see for the rest of the year, be them creators or, you know, friends we made along the way, uh, different stuff like that. So uh, really just uh, a lot of fun overall, and I'm very thankful to be able to do this on any level, let, let alone the level that we are able to do it at right now. So, uh, you know, thank you, because I think uh, you guys that are listening are a huge part of that, even if you're not necessarily there. Uh, just the fact that you tune in makes this worth doing, and it allows us to continue forward. You're there with us in spirit. Yeah. Which, like, in some ways is probably better, because that means your feet don't hurt, and you don't smell, and you're probably a lot less tired. So it's a pretty emotional victory, though. Yeah, I think those are those are all fair points. <laughs> um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna be talking about New York Comic Con throughout this episode because we're gonna go over some of the news and 
you know, things that we experienced, including the Dawn of X panel that we were actually at, uh, which was super cool. So we're going to be talking about that a little bit later. Of course, reviewing Powers of X number five. But first, of course, we have to do the Pals Pulls. So from Marco, we've got Triage number two. So Triage is Philip Seavey's book. Uh, we got a chance to talk to him on the show about it. So definitely go check that episode out. Um, and we also got a follow-up interview with him uh, that we put, we'll be putting up on YouTube. Again, talking about Triage. Um, and Phil, you did that one, right? No, that was me. That was you? Um, he, he happened to talk, he got to talk about like some, like the, the feedback and all that. So, um, some, some positive, uh, stuff coming out of that. Uh, so go check it out. Yes. And then uh, you also chose dead legends. Number one. Yeah. So dead legends is, uh, by Gavin Smith and James Maddox. It's a samurai esque, like mortal combat, uh, story. It's been really good, really action packed. A lot of fun, and it's always good to help support those guys. They originally started this on with a Kickstarter, and now it got picked up by a Wave Blue World. So kudos to them! And uh, if you guys are interested in that kind of stuff, definitely go go check it out. Cool. And uh, quickly, the Philip CV interview was episode one forty four addendum, not the regular one, but an addendum to episode one forty four. Ah, I like that. Um, I chose Batman and the Outsiders number six. This book is fire. Uh, Brian Edward Hill is easily one of my favorite writers that's out right now. And he is doing a tremendous job on the scripting side of this book, telling a story with characters who are all broken in their own ways and finding how they fit together. And it's really, really great so i highly recommend that you check it out if you haven't this is the sixth issue so it's really not that far along not far enough along that you can't catch up if you want to uh the art by dexter soy is is really really good there are times where this book looks almost like an anime or something just in terms of how kinetic everything is so uh high recommendations from me and then and uh now it's my turn marco Brian Edward Hill did a long, very good interview with us on episode 130. Boom. Hey, wow. Very prepared. Yeah, look look at that. No, I looked it up. (laughs) (laughs) Feels like, yes, I have an eidetic memory. That'd be cool. (laughs) Uh, And then, you know, we all chose Powers number six, of course. Or, yeah, yeah, Power six. This is the resolution of the story that's been unfolding since House and Powers number one. Um, without spoilers, because we will be talking about it later, House has a more straightforward conclusion. And I think that Powers is the one that's going to turn us on our heads a little bit more. So that's really exciting. And, uh, of course, we'll, we'll be talking about that when it drops. So uh, no worries there if you're, if you're someone who loves to hear us talk about that stuff. Uh, now we're going to move into the news. And we're going to talk about the Birds of Prey trailer. Uh, we saw Joker. And you can go check out that review. That's out now as well. Uh, and this trailer actually played in front of the movie. It was the first time that I had personally seen it. I don't know about the rest of you guys. Same. Yeah. Uh, what were your impressions? 
Eh, I, uh, I, I gotta say, I wasn't impressed. Um, uh, there are things about this aesthetic that, um, that they've kind of established in Suicide Squad that, um, I like. There's a lot of vibrant colors. It's, you know, like the, the, those things are cool, but overall, like the, the tone of it, the look of it, like this doesn't really vibe with me. And, um, given that I don't have a super positive impression of like DC's film slate, like this just feels like another movie that's coming out that I, that it's like a coin toss of if it'll be any good. So like, I already wasn't excited for this and this trailer didn't really do anything to change my mind. Like, yeah, it's great that Harley's now with the Joker and it was cool to see that she gets the hyenas from the cartoon and everything. Like, those were things that I was like, neat, but I don't know if that's going to amount to a movie I feel like sitting through. Yeah, I I definitely agree with that. It The artwork looked interesting, especially when I saw it, like, sort of around in and around the con and in magazines sort of stuff like it, it looks cool but the actual trailer didn't sell me on anything like no, nothing about it was wow look at that oh i'm excited to see this like it was just okay cool like it, here here's what you're gonna expect they're gonna get into shenanigans that's all you really need to know and i don't think that that's enough to lure me in on this but then again i don't know what it would be so yeah it's fine could be good. Uh, that's true. It could be good. Um, however, I, I don't have any strong feelings about it. Um, it looks like a movie. Um, it's it's cool that uh, Margot Robbie has been emancipated from being Daddy's little monster. Um, that's some real character growth there. And uh, I don't know. There's definitely an audience for this. So uh, I hope the people that like it uh, have a good time watching it. Yeah. I I was uh, not interested in what I saw from the trailer. And part of me wonders if I'm just not the target audience for the movie. But it just... I, I, look, I like Harley Quinn. But I like her the way that I like Deadpool. I like Deadpool and Harley in spaces. You know, in particular moments in time not necessarily as the driving force behind the thing. Uh, the Deadpool movies were mm. cool, but you know I respected them more for how accurate they were for the character more than how much I enjoyed seeing the character necessarily. And so with Harley Quinn, I feel the same. I like the Birds of Prey, but at least in the trailer, they definitely take a backseat, and that's something that I was yeah. worried about, and it looks like, at least based on the trailer, that's what the movie's going to be like, and that's not yep. cool for me. It definitely felt like um, like Harley and Harley's girl gang, yeah. the movie. And I'm like, ah, okay. Eh. Yeah, I, I can't attribute this quote to anything right now just because I don't remember where I saw it. But what I read was that this was originally going to be a Harley Quinn movie only. And yeah. uh, in fact, we, you know, we've talked about that in the past. But that Margot Robbie specifically wanted to highlight other female characters in this movie and i think that that's really great i I genuinely do i just don't necessarily want those characters to have to play second fiddle because they're all awesome and unique in their own right and harley has already had 
opportunities, and we'll have a lot more for sure. She's in Suicide just, Squad too. Just to play devil's advocate, there, I I wonder if that's going to translate to the film, or is that just the marketing? Sure, because right? Harley's a fucking mm. name, and people yeah. know who she is, and people will show up for a Harley Quinn movie. Like you know, I think. I think few people would argue that Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn is better than the Harley that we knew from the animated series, but <gasps> I would certainly argue that her look is is more, um, maybe more iconic now. Like I think like that that look of the Suicide Squad Harley like penetrated mainstream pop culture in a huge fucking way. So like people are attached to that character in a way that they might not be to the supporting players. But in the context of the film, as long as they're not presented as like her sidekicks, like that'll change too. Right. Yeah. It depends on how they go, how they uh, choose to approach this thing. But as a, you know, as far as the trailer goes, uh, you know, uh, seeing Ewan McGregor was cool. But yeah, that shit is tight. I right? really like that he's in the movie. I'm excited for that. Uh, yeah, if there's one thing I'm excited for, it's Owen McGregor. I I didn't like he's black mask and he did have a black mask, so there's that. I I didn't say black mask. I said Owen McGregor. <laughs> Marco doesn't care who he's playing. He just <laughs> wants to watch you and McGregor do anything. Listen, I understand that you are the person who contributes the most to the Ewan McGregor fan fix. But on this podcast, we talk about comic books and black. But I, I make them into comics. I don't. It's, it's there. <laughs> I make them into comics. You know what? You got it, man. <laughs> <laughs> I love. I love the idea that Marco has like a very specific brand of making you and McGregor fan fiction comic books. <laughs> oh man! All right, cool. So I, I think we, you know, we get the point on this, and the movie's not. Uh, the movie's not far from release, so um, we will have more answers as to what we can really expect really soon uh, because it's going to be dropping on February 7th of 2020. And you know your boys are going to watch it. As we do with everything. So, Martin Scorsese lit the internet on fire by saying something that honestly I heard referenced a lot throughout Comic-Con. Um, of course, he is a producer on Joker and, of course, just a legendary director overall. Um, but he had some fairly harsh words to say about Marvel movies when asked by, uh, Empire what he thought of them. He said, I don't see them. I tried, you know, but that's not cinema. Honestly, the closest I can think of them, as well-made as they are, with actors doing the best they can under the circumstances, is theme parks. It isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. That's the quote. That's wrong. That's a wrong statement. Marco. Yeah, I don't know. I want to hear from you, because you probably... You, you're you're probably the person here who has the least connection to these characters, and the most the person I would think would most likely lean towards what he said. So, how do you feel about it? I, I would say it, it's not it's not true. It's regardless of what the characters are, you are still trying to tell a story, right? And that still requires 
you to have character interaction to to be able to exchange dialogue in meaningful ways right like as much as i might not like the the genre the stories within within it still have value and they still offer a lot and it, it's 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 just another way to tell a story right and and whether or not you're using different characters it doesn't matter if if they can't be translated to the f- kind of film that Scorsese wants, fine, but they can be, right? Like Logan's a good example of that. But yeah. at the same, in in the same, in a similar breath, right? You can say that. So is Endgame. So I think it's funny that the one comic book movie that Martin Scorsese took part in is also. I I, I don't know that I can think of any person that I know of or any conversation that I've read that says that Joker is better than even Logan, which, you know, obviously is an incredible film. Um, But yeah, like there are comic book movies that have been hailed much more than Joker. And that's Martin Scorsese's film. Yeah. I I think like this just reads like old man yells at cloud a little bit to me, you know, like I think he is, and, and the, I mean no disrespect uh, to Scorsese, but, you know, I think that he is a capital C cinema guy, you know, like he that that's his bread and butter. That's what he's known for. And like these are like they're blockbuster movies. And I think in the same way that like at the time when Star Wars came out, there was a contingency of critics that were dismissive about it because of um, what it is that that's what he's doing here, you know, to say that like these films um, that none of them are interested in conveying emotions or anything like that is like just patently not true, you know? Um, And I'm sure that we can point to plenty of examples where maybe um, a version of what he's saying is true. Uh, But I think like Marco called out like Endgame, Civil War, like there are lots of these movies that have significant emotional beats, um, that are earned and well executed, you know? So I don't think that the fact that they're popcorn movies disqualifies them from, from being, uh, you know, art, right? Like he, he's very much coming at it from a high art, low art kind of angle. And he isn't wrong for not liking them, but I don't think him not liking them means that they're invalid. Phil. He's right, but it's whatever. I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was funny when you said that uh, Marco was the most likely to say that uh, uh, that he would like be the most likely to lean, it, lean in, and I'm like, nah, Phil's gonna agree with him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for the most part, he's right. They're they're actors doing the best they can under the circumstances because it's all in front of green screens, and they're like th- they're like theme parks, it, and you know, it, it's not really cinema, but um, you know, um, they're 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 popcorn movies that. Uh, ranging quality and some of them can be really good i mean um black panther was very good and 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 infinity war was very good um i don't i don't really disagree with his his larger point but um i i I just don't think these movies are for him he's asked about it he gave an honest answer i don't really have any issue with what he said i think that the fact that there were movies that you can name that break what he's saying, prove that he's wrong. Well, and and in his fairness, he even says like I haven't seen them. He he said I tried. Uh, you know, 
Um, so he probably saw some of the more forgettable ones and was like, yeah, this isn't for me. And that's, you know, it's whatever. I don't care. Yeah, I mean, if if we went back in time and I watched a random cowboy movie... Uh, you probably feel the same way or something. If, yeah, if I watched a random one, but if I sat down with you and you said, hey, here are the great ones, yeah, I would sure. have a different feeling. Yeah, I'm not dismissing the genre outright, and there are, you're right, there are like MCU movies that are uh, are very good. Um, uh, I, a lot of them, obviously, are, are, are you know, um, just kind of summer blockbusters, and we all enjoy them. I enjoy them. You know, I... I I'm not. I'm not trying to discount their their impact on on culture and the positivity that they've had, um, but I mean, most of them aren't made with the intent of being uh, something cerebral or having some kind of higher artistic purpose. But that's fine, you know. That's not. That's not the point. Yeah, I think it's just more like. I think the reason what he said rubs people the lo- wrong way is because it sounds very dismissive and it comes from a place of like. You know, um, I don't want to say ignorance, but like uh, it comes from an outsider's perspective. And when you have an outsider's perspective that's not really interested in understanding why people connect with it, like that comes off as dismissive. Um, so, I, you know, I, I, I get why people were upset by it. But I also it's like, what do you fucking expect? You think Martin Scorsese is going to come out and be like, yeah, I fucking love the Iron Man movies. Like, I love Avengers. No, it was that was never going to happen. He was asked his opinion on these movies. He's seen a couple, didn't like them, explained why. It could have been any range of uninformed and people got upset because people are attached to those movies. This is literally what every, every like high high art cinema person says about these movies. It's like, you know, it's predictable. And yet he made one. So, uh, yeah, right. He didn't make an MCU movie. He didn't make an MCU movie, but I, I, I think it's pretty interesting that he didn't include the DC films when one of them is Suicide Squad. Like, does right. he think and DC films are high art? I probably not. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't imagine. I, I wouldn't call Joker high art either, though. But you know, whatever, Martin. You're, uh, you're in kind. Of, I mean, a lot of people really like that movie. Yeah, okay. Yeah, Academy Award buzz. So a lot of crappy movies get Academy uh, Award buzz. American Sniper go. is an Academy Award winning film. Suicide Squad is an Academy well, Award well, winning well, film. Well, let's not let's not say something you can't take back. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So speaking of Fuck the Academy. Jesus. Speaking of <laughs> great superhero movies. The director of one of those, uh, Ryan Coogler, who, of course, directed Black Panther, is actually going to be suiting up to produce this time around for Bitterroot. Um, Bitterroot is... Yo. Huh? Yo. Oh, man. If you have familiarity, then speak to it. Oh, Bitterroot. uh, It's an image book. Uh, David F. Walker? Yes. Yeah. uh, And... I'm pulling it up because I've, I've I've forgotten it, but Sanford I read the Green. first issue. Sanford Green. Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. There he is. Um. And yeah, it's like <laughs> this badass story where it's the 20s. It's a Harlem Renaissance. It's like the Harlem Renaissance, right? Uh. And this person is just monster hunting as like this plumber esque 1920. While there's a backdrop of like jazz and the uh, the Harlem experience. It's, it, it was a really cool book, a really like mix of supernatural and uh, some horror elements. 
Um, but it was a really fun book. So when I heard this, I was I was excited because that was a that was a series that I got the first two issues and definitely wanted to go back to it on in trade. Is this it, is good news. This is really cool. Is it over? Uh, I don't think it's over, but I think it's been collected the the first five or something. Oh, okay, cool. I can, I can double check. So it's actually going to be Legendary who's uh you know putting this out, and he's going to team up with them to adapt this to screen. Uh, for what I'm, think I believe is a movie. Um, I, I mean it's legendary. That's that's their bag. Uh, this is pretty cool because obviously, uh, this is a movie that has or a movie. It's a comic book that has a lot of black characters, black influence, black creators, and then you're getting Ryan Coogler. I love the fact that we're seeing the the. You know, I don't know how what else to say, but the Black Panther effect rub off on properties that aren't Marvel or DC or whatever. Yeah, and somebody yep. like David F. Walker, who's been busting his ass in this industry for a long time, is actually going to benefit. Yeah, I think this is rad as fuck because I remember when we talked about Black Panther and like the cultural impact of it. This is one of the things that we kind of touched on. Is that, you know, historically, like like most spaces, right? Uh, Hollywood has been super dominated by white dudes. And the, you know, quote unquote, traditional wisdom before Black Panther was that audiences aren't going to go see a movie with an all black cast and an all black creative team like that is clearly not the fucking case because Black Panther made a fucking billion dollars and spawned, you know, like, a, it was a major cultural moment, you know? Um, and, like, its echoes are still being seen, you know? Um, and I think you look at this now, and because of that, you know, Coogler is obviously a name to watch in Hollywood out of nowhere. And now he gets to put his weight behind projects like this and make shit like this happen. In, like, the same way that, like... We saw with like Get Out, right? Where it's like you have that moment and then it's like, oh, you're somebody now and you can put your weight behind a thing and make it happen. So like him using that to lift up other black creators and shine a light on like indie books like this is sick because guess what? That's going to lead to if this is a hit, then, you know, the director of that movie or uh, whoever the writer who who worked on this, you know, like those people then get elevated and that cycle continues and continues and continues. And like, you're going to get to see more different, um, better art, you know, because the more like, I, in my opinion, anyway, the more that you like open up the seats at the table to like everyone, like the cream is going to rise to the top there and you're going to just get, the best quality stuff because it's a more competitive market because it's easy, not easier to get in, but it's like there's less gates, you know? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I'm really excited by this. I guess the only thing that, uh, worries me a little bit for Ryan's sake is, and of course he's taking whatever project he feels like taking, but I would hate to see him get sort of pigeonholed as that dude, who makes black comic book movies, you know, uh, he's producing, which means he's just lending his, you know, his, uh, his ideas. Sorry. Oh, 
No, I said money. <laughs> I don't think he's lending his money. I think Legendary got the money to uh, dealt with. Usually, executive producers are the check oh, that's people. It, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He probably is like going to help put together the creative team and stuff. You know. Yeah. So, uh, but in any event, good for him. Good for them. I I really look forward to seeing this. Would you feel away, Sean, if uh, he becomes the the guy who makes black comic book movies? It's a complicated conversation because yes and no. So mm. I think that if if there's going to be someone who's in a champion that kind of movie, that's fantastic. That anyone yeah. would do that. But I project myself onto him when I think, man, I would hate to be known as that black dude that does X, you know? I want to be that guy who does what he wants to do. And obviously, Ryan has had a career that he's been able to do lots of different kinds of movies. And they've all been great. But, you know, there isn't there's a, a, a potential that you get stuck in, in a thing. And that might not be a problem for him. And if it's not, then that's great. Yeah, if that's the guy he wants to be in Hollywood, then God bless, right? Sure. But. I don't know. It's funny because, like, I don't really feel like that is a danger that much because, like, I don't like you said, like, he's worked on stuff before Black Panther. You know, that certainly wasn't his, like, fucking debut. I was obviously what put him on the map. But I feel like as much as we do have the Scorsese's of the world that look at comic book movies like a certain way. I don't think that Hollywood looks at them that way. You know, like, I don't I don't think that, uh, like, I think if he's interested in doing other stuff, like, there are probably a million studios who are eager to line up to work with the guy who made Marvel a billion dollars with Black Panther. Especially when that was a thing that people thought would never make money, you know? And, like, money talks. And, like, if he's making money, like, his his, you know... He's not going to get put in a box. It really depends, man. He hasn't. We got to see what happens next. We got to see what he sits down in the chair to direct next. We got to yep. see what his career trajectory looks like. He's it's, This is unprecedented. You can't really go by what other people have done because Ryan Coogler is black and black people get treated differently. And Well, I, I guess like I'm thinking what? of that too, like with the <laughs> through the. Oh. Uh, like, like I, I brought up, um, get out. Right. And it's like, I remember thinking it's like, oh, right. Like, uh, Jordan Peele's a comedian and then he proved that he could do something else, you know? But I think what you're saying is that that is a great point that like what he, what he sits down in the director's chair next for, it does make a big difference. Pete, can, can you tell us a little bit more about black culture? <laughs> I'm done. Bye. Great episode. <laughs> That was uh, that was tough for for Jordan to pull off, and uh, you know, I just I just I see black people winning, and I get nervous because I know that uh, <laughs> <laughs> I know what happens. Yo, Sean, that's some real shit, <laughs> right, man? Um, <laughs> you know who else is getting nervous? Racists. <laughs> I hope so, man. They should be. <laughs> so. In any event, we're going to move over and talk about Marvel Studios because something really weird is going on with them. So uh, we we talked more recently about how Marvel Television, and remember, those are distinct from each other. Marvel Studios 
makes the movies, right? And they're going to be making the TV shows for Disney Plus. And then Marvel Television does like Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, of course, they were involved in the Defenders verse over at Netflix, stuff like that. More recently, Marvel Television was making a Ghost Rider television show. And uh, they were also doing a uh, Damien Hellstrom show, and that was going to be uh, sort of launching a whole, you know, uh, a mini universe over on Hulu where these shows would be, you know, darker and and whatever else. Well, as it turns out, the Ghost Rider show is not going to be made. It It was canceled before we saw anything at all. Now, they said initially that it was because of creative differences they couldn't they couldn't find the angle but now from you know these are you know different websites reporting that their sources are saying that the reason that ghost rider isn't happening is because kevin feige has plans for the character and that and and so that's another time where marvel tv loses out because of something that uh, Marvel Studios wants. And so what it looks like is, especially when you consider uh, something else that I'm going to bring up in a moment, but what it looks like is Disney wants Marvel Studios to run everything that we see from these characters going forward, not just the films. Um and part of the reason why I think that and why it's being reported and then I don't want you guys to respond is that the Disney Plus shows will have budgets of <laughs> around 100 to $150 million. That, that's mind-blowing. That's movie budgets. There are movies that have smaller budgets than that. M- much smaller. I think Disney's planning on buying a small nation soon. <laughs> Yeah, Krakoa. <laughs> Yo, they're gonna make Krakoa. <laughs> they really should. I'd go. I'd go. <laughs> they're gonna be like Democratic Republic of the Congo. No, it's Krakoa now. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, yeah, man, it's so funny because you bring this up, and like my immediate thought is like, why the fuck does does Marvel Television even exist anymore? You know. Like, I feel like it's the, like, red-headed stepchild that lives under the stairs of, like, the Marvel, you know, multimedia arm. Because it's, like, over the last couple of years, right, or I guess longer than that, right, you have, you've had Marvel Studios for a decade plus here. Last couple of years, they established Marvel Games to, like, get their shit together with video games. And then you've got Marvel Television, which, like... All of its shows are getting canned or like, oh, they're connected to the MCU, but not, but they're not really. And like, oh, we're going to make this Ghost Rider show. Never mind. Like, they got Inhumans. Okay, well, that's a, that's a famous classic. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, God. Martin Scorsese would call that cinema. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Martin Scorsese was a big fan of Inhumans. Uh, and that's just like what I'm talking about. It's just like what, like why did this, why does this company even exist if they're constantly gonna just like pull the rug out from under them or like give them properties that they don't feel 
like have the juice to be something more, you know? Yeah, totally. I think that it's pretty clear Marvel's Marvel television is a redundancy and it's a relic from a prior regime. I think that this, especially now. Yeah. I think it ties in really neatly with what has been talked about over the course of, of a few years now, the very real uh, friction that existed between Kevin Feige and the cabal uh, that, you know, consisted of uh, Brian Michael Bendis. It consisted of Jeff Loeb. It consisted of uh, all these different people who were in control of what could happen on on, on the big screen. In a, in, a, in a Marvel movie. And Kevin Feige had to work within those constraints. And around the time of, I believe it was uh, Civil War uh, or Avengers 2, it was so bad that he wanted to leave. Um, and thankfully, that didn't happen. Thankfully, uh, I believe it was uh, Bob Iger who uh, basically said, you know, we're going to we're gonna change the way things are done. And he, he got rid of the cabal. Well, that... That, that obviously helped out for the movies a whole bunch, but the television has been floundering ever since. They stopped trying to have a relationship. They stopped the interconnectivity between the shows and the movies and things like that. That all kind of fell away. So, um, yeah, it's a really interesting situation. Yeah, it's hard to believe that having Jeff Loeb and Brian Michael Bendis in the 2010s didn't yield great television. I don't know what... Who could have saw that go wrong? You know, it, I don't want to denigrate whatever. I will. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I don't want to denigrate what Jeff Loeb is trying to do, but I, I would say that it's probably very difficult to work. It's kind of the reverse of what Kevin Feige went through, right? Because now Jeff is in a situation where someone can say, hey, uh, that toy that you have, I want that. And he has to give it up. Ooh, that's going to be me. <laughs> It's pretty embarrassing, right? Like, he got on stage at San Diego, and he talked about these shows and what they were going to be, and then just just after, just a few months later, a couple of months later, it comes out that it's not even happening. Yo, you think the people that went to the panel in San Diego are like, boy, that was a waste of time, huh? (laughs) (laughs) The whole thing really is weird to me, because... I've never totally understood Kevin Feige's position. Like, I I get wanting to have control because he is the head of this thing that he built. And, like, you don't want to... You don't want to... Too many cooks can spoil the dish, right? Like, I get that. But he clearly has all the power, right? Like, if he's able to... After this show was announced at San Diego Comic Con, months later, be like, nah, you're not doing that anymore. Like, why not just use that power to, like, set rules? You know, like, you know, I, I, I don't know. Like, why, like, why can't the Daredevil and Netflix shows that, you know, did acknowledge the MCU at one point and very much implied that they were set? in the MCU, why can't they be part of the MCU? Like, why does... You know what I mean? Like, they they were quality, and if there were just certain edicts or whatever, or he, you know, sit in, get an EP credit, give him your notes, like, I've just never understood the friction. I've never understood why 
it is the way it is. Because he actually doesn't have power over that. So um, you got to remember that those shows were created before uh, the Cabal was busted. Disassembled. Yeah. And also that Marvel Studios and Marvel Television are not actually both the same thing. So um, Kevin Feige is the executive whatever title at Marvel Studios, but he doesn't exist at Marvel Television. So the reason why he can say, I want Ghost Rider, and it happens, is because the people that he's telling have that power, and they want to keep him happy. Right. Not to mention the fact that when you're talking about the Defenders, those characters were appearing on Netflix. And obviously Netflix was always going to become a contender and a competitor with Disney. And so why would you want to give them something that would benefit them so much when it really doesn't do much for you? Because you're, you're, you, know, you, don't, you can't show those characters on the movies because of the rights issues there. And... If if even if they did, is Daredevil gonna light the world on fire uh, financially for Marvel Studios? Probably not. But would it increase viewership for the show? Yeah, absolutely. Well, see, that's the thing I think is so interesting, though, right? Because like you you point out the idea of like Feige having the bosses that he answers to who control both camps, right? If they're so interested in keeping him happy, they could give him creative sway at Marvel Television. You know, like that could be a thing they could work out. If they wanted to, but and to your point though, right? Like with the Netflix stuff too. Like I think those shows wouldn't even have been made if Disney knew that they were going to do Disney Plus in 2019. But to your point, there those are things that exist from a different regime in a different time. You know, those deals were made so when the media landscape was way different than it is right now. Yeah. So like yeah. that gets in the weeds in a way that. I'm not even really interested in going in that direction. Um, but I, I think you're making a lot of strong points as to why things have played out the way that they have. It just feels like a thing that like, I, I guess it just doesn't make sense to me why the powers that be have allowed this like redundancy, not only to exist, but to exist in the way it has for so long. Yeah. Cause it feels like tidying things up years ago could have been possible because even like you bring up the netflix thing and the rights issue you, how much you want to bet that if they were like oh we want to put daredevil in fucking he's gonna have a cameo in civil war or whatever right like netflix not gonna fucking say no to that like that's more eyes on the thing that they have staken you know so like it's the same kind of thing where like if the machine had been built to interact that way or had been pivoted to interact that way you know, years ago when this shit really started taking off, like we'd be in a whole different ball game right now. And the fact that we're at 2019 and we're still talking about how weird and obsolete Marvel television is feels like weird to me, considering yeah. they've gotten so many other ducks in a row. Yeah, you, you've mostly answered your own question, though, because you asked why they don't just give Kevin Feige that power. And that's what this news story is. Mm. So. If they're just going to give him the power anyway, why not fold the whole thing and just put it all under him, under Marvel Studios? That's Well, now that they have Disney Plus, it's like, yeah, fucking A. Like, why even make television shows anywhere else? I mean, maybe ABC because you own it, but like... Ooh. Yeah, that too. Yeah. So, that's the story there, and I don't think this is the last time we'll talk about it, but uh, very interesting the way that the Marvel television story has unfolded. 
over the last uh what seven years since avengers came out does this um impact those cartoons they announced uh for hulu a while ago you know which ones i'm talking yeah, about I, I, yeah there was like the howard the duck yeah. and those shows we really haven't heard from in a while yeah right? And uh, the last time that I saw anything about them that I didn't choose to include uh, was just that they were happening. But um, I would I would not be surprised if there was an announcement to the contrary. Yeah, I feel like that is going to be really tied to how far in production they are. Because um, if like. Because animation is a slow-moving ship to turn, right? So, like, if when that announcement was made, the shows were already, like, significantly in development, there's a good chance that they'll finish them, you know, and, like, see what happens. And, like, if they're successful, maybe they get moved over to Disney Plus or whatever, whatever, whatever. But um, to, to your point, Sean, I think, like, if we're not at a point where there are already like people turning in pages and stuff like that, like recording voice lines, all that stuff, like, yeah, I could totally see the, them not ever happening, which would be a bummer. I was really interested in a few of those. Yeah. So speaking of uh, apps and services, this DC Universe is uh, actually getting some new stuff over on, on their end. Uh, we've learned Whoop. that they're coming out with something called Bizarro TV. Which sounds very weird. And when I tell you what it's... It sounds bizarre, you might even say, Sean. Ah. When I tell you what it's about, you're going to understand. Nah, it was good. (laughs) Thank you, Marco. Uh, So, actually, this was announced at New York Comic Con, and we're at the part of the show where we're going to go over those announcements. Um, Bizarro TV is going to be an anthology series that essentially deals with characters that are very much like the Z-list of DC. So uh, characters like Ambush Bug, The Creeper, Slam Bradley, Space Krabby, uh, characters like that. Hell yeah. You said Ambush Bug, and I got excited, and then you said three of their names. I was like, I don't know what that is. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, that's very odd. That's that's a very, very odd announcement. I think it's interesting because they've, they've had a lot of success with weirder shows on... The DC uh, Universe app. Uh, Doom Patrol obviously was received lots of praise. It was really out there, really just weird. Um, Swamp Thing, obviously, for being just the dark series that it is, but at the same time, it's like uh, rooted in a weird, campy horror vibe. Like there's still there's still these elements of of strange and otherwise outside of the norm heroes that people are, I think, coming to expect from the app. So this this feels in line, at least with the, in terms of what they're trying to do uh, overall. Like, Titans is the most grounded thing right now, you know? And what's funny is that Titans is also the probably the most, uh, the one that deviates the most from the source material. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, um, no, I, I, think, I think what you're saying is exactly right. And so, with that in mind, is this something that you're excited for? Yeah, I mean, everything that they've, they've been putting out so far, I've enjoyed. I haven't finished Doom Patrol. I have to go back to that. I love Swamp Thing. Um, and Titan Season 2 came out. I, I need to jump on it because I know Marina's excited for that too. So, yeah, this is this is something that the, the Universe app has earned my at least 
trust enough to try it. Awesome. So we didn't we didn't learn much other than 2020 for a release. So who knows when that'll come out? Uh, one thing that I also wanted to ask you is, what do you feel about the future of the DC Universe app? Given that they've got the uh, HBO whatever that thing's called, the big eight, the HBO Max or whatever it is, um, that looks like it's going to be the all-encompassing uh, Warner Brothers app. I mean, I think it's still too early. Like, we, we, don't, we don't know much more. Nobody said anything about the DC Universe app. They're putting a new content on it consistently, you know? So I, I, I think maybe by early next year, if there's not an announcement, I think it's probably going to stay for a little bit longer. But until we get that, I don't know. You can't say for sure, right? It's still early enough in DC Universe app's life. It's only been out for a year that I think it can go either way. Right. I wonder if it won't be a similar situation to what um, we're starting to see with Hulu and what some people are theorizing the connection will be there with Disney Plus. Um, where like with Hulu, you can like add ESPN for an additional thing, but there's also an ESPN dedicated app, right? Like, or there's the live TV thing. Like, I wonder if we won't hit a point where like you have the HBO Max thing and for an additional $5 a month or whatever, you get all the DC shows. But if you want the comics and the extra shit, you have the app. Sure. Um, that definitely makes sense. I, I, I don't expect Hulu to go away though. Cause I'm assuming there's not a free version of Disney plus or the Disney streaming service. So that's a way for them to, while they're, like, like they still make ad revenue off. Yeah, that. so I wasn't saying that Hulu would go away. It's oh. uh, some people are theorizing that because Disney owns that stake, that they will offer like for X amount of money, you'll get Hulu and Disney oh, Plus it, and ESPN, yeah, yeah, whatever, you know. And like they'll they'll basically start bundling streaming services together sure. based on who owns them, right? Okay, and like you ideally get some kind of discount for subscribing yeah. to more, you know. I could see that working with the HBO thing because if you're the kind of person where you're like, oh, I want to watch Titans, but I don't give a fuck about reading comics. Exactly. That makes sense. But the $15 a month, like, you know, could go towards them continuing to build out the comics library and improve the reading tools and, like, try to make a competitor to, like, a Comixology or a Marvel Unlimited or whatever and, like, really focus on that being the reason you go for the $15 subscription. And if you just want the video stuff... You know, that's a that's a way cheaper sell. So another announcement from DC, another animated series, but a completely different streaming service. We learned also at New York Comic Con that Michael Chiklis is going to be lending his voice to Deathstroke. What? For a twelve <laughs> episode animated series on CW Seed. Nah, not interested. <laughs> it's interesting because Deathstroke is extremely popular for a character who really, I mean, unless you count the after credit scene of Justice League, has never appeared in a movie. Uh, I feel like I feel like a lot of people our age like him. Be, he was on Teen Titans. He's on um, Arrow. He was on Arrow. Arrow. Right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That helps too. I think. Right. Like obviously we've talked about none of us watch the CW shows, but if you're like a teeny bopper or like a, you know, 
young 20s like there's a lot of people that are heavy into those shows and i think a lot of people our age who are like maybe a little older than that crowd like we were you know even if you don't read comics you remember him as slade from teen titans a lot of people our age watch the arrowverse shows though for sure yeah yeah yeah, for sure i just it's very popular with the teen crowd you know and like not say that there isn't a contingency of 30 somethings but i think even if you don't watch those shows you have a familiarity with deathstroke sean should i alley-oop that comment yeah teen uh pete tell us more about your expertise with the teens oh i didn't <laughs> uh, excuse me i know a lot about teens i mm. did a riverdale review show for three whole seasons i'm very tapped into the youth phil mm. i go on twitter Interesting. Uh, uh, michael chicklitz is cool yes. um i uh i fuck with that a lot i don't know if i'll watch it just because media saturation is really real but um it's cool that it's happening. Um, Slade is a cool character for sure. Um, with regard to the DC app, I wouldn't be surprised if it was eventually just consolidated with the Warner Warner Media streaming service. I think that's what oh, you're calling it. Oh, is that what it was called? Oh, my fault. I thought it was an eight, I thought it was HBO something, but you may be right. No, you're definitely right, Sean. It's it's like HBO. No, no, no. It's there's a they have a thing called Warner Media Streaming. Okay. So they have two apps? Cuz Sean's right. There's definitely Is, is a, HBO owned by Time Warner? I thought so. I'm not sure, but either way, um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was consolidated with this the the Warner Media streaming app there they've been planning the last two years because just a DC app is really really niche. Um, it is owned by Warner Media. So quick to jump on Sean's side because I put you down. I mean, I'm I'm generally happy to be on Sean's side over yours. I know. So. It's okay. <laughs> I always, and this is to Pete's point, I always think of Ron Perlman when I think of Deathstroke at this point. Excuse my ignorance, but why is that? Oh, he played Slade in the Teen Titans show. Gotcha. He did? Yeah. That was Ron Perlman? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Am I crazy? Hold on. Now I'm really worried. I was super wrong. So we're just really we're just thrown. We're shooting from the hip today, huh, Phil? No, I, I'm pretty sure. That's, <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's true. Hold on. Well, in any event, that's super cool. And uh, I, actually, you're right. I'm I'm looking at it right now. Ron Perlman did voice him on the show. <laughs> that's fucking wild, dude. Guys, look at me. I'm on a roll. That's cool. Oh, you, know, you want to host? <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> Honestly, not really. <laughs> I am on a roll, though. <laughs> uh, yeah, so it's... I mean, there's a lot of people who are going to be involved in this as far as uh, uh, voice actors. Uh, we've got Sasha Alexander from Dawson's Creek and Rizzoli and Isles. I love her, so I'm so happy what? that she's yeah. on this. Uh, she's going to be playing Addie. Uh, Chris Jai Alex from Thundercats Roar will be playing Jackal. Um, Faye Mata will be playing Rose. So many different people. I think that's really great, and for people who like Deathstroke, this is cool. I am fine with Deathstroke. I don't have a connection. Uh, I'm not a Teen Titans guy, but I understand that he's cool to people, and that's great. Yeah, I mean, this is the kind of thing I could see myself checking out if it got good buzz, but the fact that it's on CWC, I'm not gonna. I'm not interested in subscribing to another streaming service. 
No, thank you. All right. So if that doesn't tickle your fancy, what about more Harley Quinn? Because <sighs> it was announced at Comic-Con that uh, Amanda Connor and Jimmy Palmiotti will be returning to work with Harley Quinn. They are notorious for having some really strong runs with the character, but this time it's going to be a black label title, and it's going to be called uh, Harley Quinn and the Birds of Prey. Oh, look at that. Synergy. Wow. DC. Look at that. Congrats. Also, uh, there was a recently canceled Birds of Prey title that was going to be coming from Brian Azzarello, and I think it's very interesting that that got canceled and this got started and then they also said that that title would be re uh re solicited and would come out later on so i wonder what the thinking is there but uh this is going to be a four issue monthly title that connor and palmiati will be working on with paul mounts who is a regular contributor to their work And uh, I'm going to read a little bit of the description for the book. With Harley finally done with the Joker, she's moving forward with her life until she's beset by a rogues gallery of Gotham City's worst villains, the target of a $10 million bounty placed on her head by the clown Prince of Crime. It will take the help of Black Larry, Cassandra Cain, Renee Montoya, and the Huntress to help Harley and get to the bottom of why the Joker has turned Gotham's worst loose on her. Hmm. Uh, it's a good premise. I'll give it that. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's fine enough. You know, it's the same kind of thing. I just don't... I Like, I like Harley Quinn fine, you know? Um, I'm a huge fan of the original Batman series and, you know, um, Arlene Sorkin's original portrayal of her, but I, uh, I'm, I feel a little burnt out on her lately like she's just so everywhere so like if again if this is good i'll give it a shot right i'm i'm always down but the announcement doesn't do anything for me like let me let me know when there's something to to chew on you know that's like when when i might really give it my attention yeah just so you guys know uh other than if you count the backwards edition of prior Batman stories to Black Label, Harley Quinn actually has the most Black Label titles. Uh, Damn. Yeah, so if you... Wow, that's crazy. So there's Harleen, which is out right now, this, the Brian Azzarello title that I talked about, and then a Joker Harley Quinn Black Label title that is incoming. So just thought I'd point that out. It's really cool that DC launched a Daddy's Little Monster imprint. (laughs) They should just call him that. (laughs) (laughs) Daddy's little label. Oh God, that sounded a little too like like that could happen. <laughs> uh, so it's too close for comfort, man. <laughs> yeah, really though. So on the Marvel side of things, we learned about a few new titles uh, that are going to be well, a few titles that will be relaunched, I should say, here really soon. Uh, and some of them are pretty interesting, I think. So, obviously, Jason Aaron's run on Thor uh, will end in December. And, of course, the question is, who's going to take over? And the answer is Donny Cates and Nick Klein. So, Donny Cates, obviously, writing Absolute Carnage right now. Uh, 
the the most popular book that's in comics at the moment. Um, and then Nick Klein is jumping on board, co- coming from Deadpool. We don't know a ton about what this is going to be. The only thing we know is that there's something called the Black Storm, and Thor's going to have to deal with that. Uh, that's right, I'm actually coming to Thor Comics. They're putting me in the books. I am the Black Storm. <laughs> Yo, can that be your nickname now, Sean? Because that's fucking rad. <laughs> He's already black, man. <laughs> I can I can be whoever I feel like being, dude. You Don't put him in a me. box, Phil. You know what? That's fair. To be frank, though, DC or uh, Marvel already has a black storm. Da 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 da. That's a good one, man. Thanks. Uh. Ha-cha-cha. So, in addition to that, uh, Cates is leaving Guardians of the Galaxy because he's been writing that for a while. So, Al Ewing is stepping up. Yes, sir. Yeah, Al Ewing is stepping up with artist Juan Cabal to do the Guardians. And this time around, they're going to be challenged by the gods of Olympus, which is crazy. What? He, um, actually, if you take the time... And check out that interview. He kind of goes into it with what? us. Really? Yeah. All right. So you have to check that out. Because this this was announced on Friday, so that's that's right. That's really cool. He kind of tells us what he uh, what he plans to do and where his inspiration for this is coming from. It's pretty cool. You should check it out. You got me wanting to watch now. That's awesome. Yeah. Good tease. Uh, so the last title that. We're going to be mentioning, well, a second to last, I should say, is Iron Man 2020. Now, this is going to be by Dan Slott and Christos Gage, who oh, hell yeah. are going to stick around. They've been working with Iron Man since the relaunch, um, but it's going to be a little different. So Pete Woods is going to do art, and the main character is not Tony Stark. It's actually Arno Stark. And I think it was on this podcast, maybe it was with a friend, but uh, that uh, Arno actually came up. And for those who are unfamiliar, Arno Stark debuted in like forever ago as a cousin for Tony Stark. He's since been revamped and he's Tony's adopted brother. But it, at least when he first debuted, he was not a good person. This time, he seems to be a better guy, but... For me, as a reader of uh, Iron Man, I don't believe it. So I feel like this whole Iron Man 2020 ties into what Marvel's overall 2020 idea is, which is a machine revolution. And I think Arno will be on Ultron's side when that all goes down. And uh, I know Pete will uh, probably pick this one up. He He's a uh, diehard dance lock guy. <laughs> That's, that's one way of putting it. <laughs> Can't say I knew that about the man. It's true. Yeah, he loves it. It's, yeah, this, this is uh, this is genuinely his thing. Um, hey, Marco, are you excited for Marvel's 2020 uh, machine run that they've got planned? Machine run. Yeah, they're doing a bunch of books that's like about machines taking over. Say more. Uh, I know. It's it's just this this new thing they're going to be doing where they're going to feature a lot of the machine based characters like Ultron and they're having Arno Stark Tony's uh, oh. brother do stuff. I thought I thought Phil was just talking shit. No. no whoa, no, uh, dude. 
I'll ask you a question for the podcast. Mm, nah. <laughs> All right. Okay. Hold on. I'm not. I'm not generally interested in, in like. I don't know. It, I'm assuming it's like ties into like an event or something. Uh, eventually. Yeah. Yeah. How about this though? They they announced something called Marvel's X, which is a prequel to Earth X. Uh, I don't know if anyone here has read that, but uh, I, I personally haven't read it myself. But I've always heard good things, and the art and, and the characters look tremendous. And so uh, Alex Ross and Jim Kruger are returning from that series to do this one. But uh, Velibor Stanojevic is taking over from Doug Brathwaite to do art for the prequel. I read this book, oh my god, like 15 years ago. Oh. I can't remember a thing about it. Earth X, yeah. Yeah. No idea. I looked it up because I was, I, I was like, man, this sounds super familiar. I can't remember a thing about it. It's, it's yeah, I wish I could remember as well. Uh, one of my friends told me a lot about it. Um, and it sounded really interesting. I thought the pitch was cool, but I just, I never picked it up. So uh, I'll probably buy this, though. This will inspire me to read the run. You'll have to let me know how it is. Will do. And I feel like most likely you'll like it. Yeah, you know how these things go. The last thing we're going to talk about before we get into the Dawn of X panel is that Marvel has announced more The End titles. So The End is something that they've done with several characters before. We got like, uh, trying to think, uh, Wolverine, I think The End, uh, Daredevil, The End, you know, all that kind of jazz. And uh, even like Spider-Man Reign probably would have been called The End if it was made today, that type of, that type of thing. It's like a Dark Knight. Like, oh, these are right. the last days of this character. Um, this time around, we're going to be getting the end Captain America, Doctor Strange, Miles Morales, Venom, Captain Marvel, and Deadpool. So uh, we've got the creative teams for these. Uh, Captain Marvel will be done by Kelly Thompson with art by George Gently, which is really cool. I'm so glad he's getting Marvel work. Um, and the, the the little pitch is, uh, 50 years ago, Carol Danvers went into the deepest reaches of the cosmos to spread peace and justice, and she hasn't seen a familiar face since. Whatever happened to the planet she once called home? So that's kind of cool. She's the most peaceful person I know. <laughs> uh, we've got Doctor Strange, the end, like I said, which will be written by Leia Williams with art by Felipe Andrade. And uh, for this one, it says the Sorcerer Supreme makes his final journey through a cyberpunk sprawl that forgot about magic, reteaming the critically acclaimed creative team, blah, blah, blah. So that's all we got there. Uh, Miles Morales, <laughs> the end. For some reason, the coverage of this makes me laugh because it's, <laughs> it's <laughs> Miles as an old man with a white beard flying through the sky (laughs) the fact that he has a white beard i don't know um this the creative team on this is actually saladin ahmed who is currently writing miles morales and damian scott and they're saying this one is humanity makes its last stand in the only place strong enough to survive brooklyn (laughs) all right uh captain america the end is whoa it's eric larson writer and artist interesting that's very interesting yeah 
Steve Rogers fights for survival in a post-apocalyptic wasteland populated by hordes of red skulls. <laughs> that sounds very scary. Yeah, one red skull's Next more than enough. is Deadpool The End, which is written by Joe Kelly with art by Mike Hawthorne. Oh, interesting. Joe Kelly, yeah. coming back. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Wade Wilson may seem like he is unlikable, but there is more than one way to put an end to him. But don't take my word for it. All right. And Venom. Uh, I implore you to take a, a look at this cover because it looks crazy. Uh, Venom has some weird Cthulhu tentacle gang type thing going on with his uh, <laughs> with his hand. And uh, he just looks very cool, so uh, you all should check that out. Uh, written by Adam Warren with art by Chamba. I'm not familiar with either person, but this cover is brilliant. Uh, the alien symbiote who bonded with Eddie Brock has been through a lot, but not nearly as much as he has coming. In a tale that literally spans over a trillion years, Venom travels the length of space and time as the last defender of life in the universe. Yeah, that sounds about right. Um, I like his hand a lot. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, that is ridiculous. Is it like he has like a particle beam coming out of his hand or some shit? Yeah, kind of looks like that. Right? And it's like there's the there's like the DNA. dots around. It's like a DNA helix like on his chest and up to his neck. Very interesting. Hmm. I I think Venom is. An interesting character, depending on who's writing him. Uh, mm-hmm. But I never thought he would be the last defender of the universe. We agree. <laughs> Eddie. Eddie. Surf the web. Surf, surf the, the web. web. Surf the web. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's it's a weird color on him, but, you know, Venom's not above a little heroics. So, Do any oh, of these appeal to you all? Yeah, Venom. Venom something is really interesting. Yeah, I, I think I, I like this kind of story in general. You know, like I, I think like these sorts of things are fun exercises considering like the nature of rubber banding in comics kind of makes it that a lot of times these characters aren't capable of um, getting these kinds of stories. You know, so like they're not always good, but they're often interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I'm interested in all of these to varying degrees, but I can tell you that I have already, they, they have my money basically on the Miles one, the Cap one, and uh, Venom. I would say those are the three I'm the most interested in as well. You could have said Marvel has your money regardless, and we, we would have all been like, well, yeah, we know. <laughs> that tracks. That's a fair point. I won't argue. So. Now, I want to talk about the Dawn of X panel. Like I said at the top, we were all there. The four of us were present. And it was pretty cool. Uh, first of all, we didn't think we were going to be able to get in. Uh, I'm surprised that even happened. But uh, Phil, or actually Marco wasn't there. Never mind. I no, forgot. I was definitely there. No. <laughs> uh, Don't fucking lie. Yeah, Marco, what was your favorite part? Uh, honestly, man, when Hickman came out on the stage, it was just, wow. The crowd, wow. That was magic. Don't even. <laughs> that was magic. Yeah, so uh, speak to it. What did you guys think about the panel? Pete? 
Uh, yeah, I, I had a great time at the panel. Um, I It was a bummer that Hickman wasn't there, but um, I am very, very into what's been going on with Hoxpox and a lot of the questions that we've had in terms of how can this possibly be the new status quo? Are they going to click the reset button? What do all the books spinning out of it look like? And how are they informed by what we're reading? And we got answers to a lot of those questions that were compelling um, because this is the new status quo. All of these books will spin out from Hoxbox and they're not going to reset everything. Like, this is it. This is what we're doing. So that's really cool. And because we now know that, they're you know they're they're being a little more forthcoming about some of that information. So getting to see some of the art, getting to get more information about the teams and the scopes of these books got me excited for them, uh, or not got me excited. Um, I would say confirmed my excitement for them because I definitely have been kind of wondering myself a lot if my enthusiasm for what's going on with the X Men is going to be sustainable beyond House and Powers, especially with them expecting me to pick up six books a month. Um, but at least right now, I'm really, really hype on what they're doing with the X-Men and the fact that they're like staying true to that and like bringing the line really close together where like it seems like the books are going to interact and have a lot to do with each other. Like I'm excited by that. And I haven't been all in on something like that from Marvel since Ultimate. And and, and that's definitely something that I wanted to hear. Um, uh, I didn't attend, but it was definitely something that, for me, the, the concern moving forward is how do you, shit, like how do you follow this up, right? Like like it's been awesome. Like what do you do now? Like what are the implications? So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, you know, we're going to see more of that connectivity in terms of like how that story all fits together. Um but I don't know. I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm glad that like that's that's what the direction is, right? That's very much the vibe that I'm getting from this, you know. The panel was fine. Um, they they didn't say anything particularly interesting about it, and I think I think the greatest, uh, I think the greatest issue with it is that Hickman himself wasn't there. Uh, it's his baby. And it's his brainchild. So everyone else on stage had to kind of talk about it through their lens, which wasn't an issue. I, 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 I was glad to hear them talk about it. But it, it, it would have had a little more impact, I think, if it was Hickman there. Um, additionally, I don't think they said anything too different than what we have known through solicitations about what's coming out of Hoxpox. Um, but that said, there were some, uh, there were some absolute highlights for one. Uh, we found out that Glob Herman's going to be in one of the books going forward. (laughs) So that's good to know. Um, huge news, huge news, huge. Um, and then, um, we found out, uh, we found out Apocalypse is going to be wearing a giant goofy suit at one point. Um, best best reveal of the panel. Getting to see 
him, Professor X, and Magneto in their Sunday best getting ready to go, like, attend a world summit. I'm like, I'm so about this. Is that a thing? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it was the best. Get the fuck out. No, it's Apocalypse in this big-ass suit, and it's just hilarious to see him in clothes. All right, fine. I affirmed. Uh, this is my shit. <laughs> yeah, no, it's... Uh... The, uh, the panel had a joke about like, oh, are people really going to be interested in seeing like mutant representatives attend like this UN meeting? And it was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was funny because like they said that and like everyone cheered. It's like, yes, like I am here for these long, boring political conversations, which we see a little bit in House of X number six, which we'll talk about in a little bit. But like, there's a lot of, I mean, that entire issue is uh, effectively dialogue about uh, policy. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the big news uh, that they, they really revealed is uh, they're the first piece of what we're going to be getting out of phase two of, of, of Hickman's plans, which is uh, Ben Percy's Wolverine run. Yeah, this was sort of a, an end credits special that they gave us which was pretty cool that they let us know that uh that that was going to be happening and x fans are very divided because while wolverine obviously is a massively popular character it's weird that he's the first character who's getting a solo series and especially because he hasn't really been that cool over the last few years uh he's definitely fallen off so uh, the 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 reaction has been mixed i feel like that's kind of why it does make sense like i think that what you're seeing with with house and powers right and like this broader initiative is like a real cleaning up of the x-men brand and like returning them kind of to their former glory in the marvel universe and like Wolverine, like, maybe not in the last couple of years, but Wolverine is the most popular X-Men, you know? And, like, arguably in the conversation for Marvel's, you know, historically anyway, for Marvel's most popular characters. So, I totally get the desire to, when you're going to introduce, like, a second wave of books, like, you know, Wolverine's a character that I think Marvel probably wants to recapture that glory, Especially now that, you know, they can make a movie about him. Um, and, you know, the X-Men were uh, pretty much on ice before Jonathan Hickman came along. And so I think it tracks that Wolverine uh, had lost a lot of steam. But, you know, listening to Ben Percy talk on stage was like, this is the most masculine comic book writer I've seen in the way he talks. He has the deepest fucking voice and it was so mesmerizing. Like, at first, I thought it was a bit. And then I was just like, no, this is just his voice. It was wild. Yeah, that was crazy. Oh, I, the thing that really worked for me, too, right, was, like, they had him talk a little bit about it. And he was like, you know, 
everybody who likes superheroes, like most people anyway, right, have that character that you really connect with. That like this is your character, and then you know you have some. He said it was like there's that character who's like that twisted mirror version of yourself, right? Yeah, and that you commemorate that love with T-shirts and mugs and maybe a tattoo. And like Wolverine's that character for me, and I have a ton of respect for all the people that have written him in the past. But I'm equally excited to like put my own mark on it, and like that seems like a good place to be what does it say about ben that he relates to wolverine that he's a burly ass man with a deep voice and he probably is really good with children i don't know (laughs) (laughs) um the the one other thing i will say is my highlight of this is when they had a q a session at the end oh my god and it's led by the two nerdiest uh nerdiest motherfuckers in the world uh with pointed knives and daggers pointed at the panel to be like all right listen we all know so yeah the first person said we all know that you guys weren't in good standing with morrison when he left but it seems like that softened up a bit so let's get the let's get the facts straight here was magneto zorn or not (laughs) excuse me mr panelist Is Wolverine going to come back? (laughs) That's effectively the stuff we were getting, man. Yo, the best was in like right after that, dude. Was was it the Morrison guy next or the Disney guy next? Disney guy next. Okay, so yeah, the next guy, he comes up and he's like, all right, so let's be real. Like, we all know that... Disney, like, didn't own the X-Men, so you put them on ice for the last couple years, and, like, I love the X-Men, I'm so glad they're back, but, like, it kind of felt like a slap in the face that you guys just, like, mess with us like that, we went from 10 X-Books to 3, and, like, now, all of a sudden, there's a million of them again, and, like, isn't it convenient that Disney owns them again? So, like, can you speak to that, like, what... Like, what was some of the editorial decisions behind that? And I'm just like, what, are you fucking kidding me? Like, they're going to answer that question? Go fuck yourself, man. Chill. Yeah, and... and, and, (laughs) Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, I'll walk that back. I'll walk that back. (laughs) It was freaking hilarious. This big big panel about, uh, you know, maybe Marvel's biggest event of the year... And the leading two questions are two of the saltiest X-Men related questions possible. Well, the first three, because then the next one is, why don't you ever acknowledge Morrison's run? No, that was the first one. That was part of that one? That was the very first question. Oh, yeah, no, the Zorn thing was that. Okay, I'm getting mixed up because there's a lot of big-ass nerds. (laughs) (laughs) They they didn't read the room. It was really tense and uncomfortable, and they're like, I'm going to press the dagger further. And each one of them got an answer to their question and then kept talking, and I'm like, bro, there's like 30 people behind you. Like, maybe let someone else ask a question that they will actually answer. It was amazing. It was truly amazing. <laughs> My favorite was that uh, there was a uh, a woman who was a cosplayer, and she she gets up and she's like, yo, first of all, shout out to my podcast. Go subscribe to us. Damn. Yo, so will you, are you guys really not able to answer any questions about Wave 2? And they're like, well, and she's like, all right, forget it. I don't have a question. I have a demand. <laughs> <laughs> and then what was it? She said she wanted uh was it a new I don't remember. Ah, whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. It was she was boss. It was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I wanna I wanna move on though, because there were some things that we did learn that were pretty cool. Uh so when it comes to X Men, 
everyone was asking why the X-Men team was <laughs> the entire Summers family and Wolverine. And the answer is that that's not the case. Uh, every issue of X-Men will feature Cyclops plus a different team of characters. So uh, that the cover of issue one is either completely a red herring or that's just the team for issue one. And each issue will be an individual mission that Cyclops is taking his team on. So, so I'm getting a Cyclops book. Yeah, like he's the like, one consistent member. Like a militant Cyclops book. Mm, yeah, yeah. yeah Yo, much. I fucks with that. Basically, I'm down. Every issue is like, all right, I'm getting these group of mutants, and we're gonna go do a thing, and it's like an anthology. Hell style. yeah! That, I'm about that. I'm signed up for that. Yeah, it's tight. Yeah. Um, the other thing that we learned was what X Force is now, and. uh we learned that it's not a rogue team of mutants. It's actually their version of the CIA. And so... What? Yeah. So Wolverine will lead the, the, the sort of militant portion, the, one that, the ones that get their hands dirty, and Beast will lead the intelligence portion. Fuck, that's so and, cool. And, and, they'll, and, and they'll clash. And I, and I just want to... Right, Marco, like, th- that sounds cool, right? Awesome. And feels like they didn't say anything interesting at this panel. I actually forgot about that. Right. <laughs> um, I think that was the only thing that I was like, oh, that's really interesting. Um, um, yeah, and I think that's the one that's by Ben Percy, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the way he described it was really um, fascinating, especially because he was making it sound like uh, that will be, like, their their CIA, CIA division and the, 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 the brawn and the brain will clash a lot in their decision making. Yes. Nice. Those are the words I used. Uh, so, New Mutants is another book and with this one, you know, we learned that it has a very different premise than we could have possibly expected. It's based around uh, the New Mutants team going to find Cannonball who left and went off into space. And so they're going to click up with the Star Jammers, who are always interesting, but always trouble. And they're going to get into some stuff. So uh, I think that's going to be pretty cool. Yo, I'm getting upset that I missed this thing, actually. <laughs> I know you like Space Pirate Sean, so I know you'll pick up that book. <sighs> yeah, just uh, Shattered Dreams. Uh, and, and then the book that I'm most excited for, which is Fallen Angels... This book, again, very vague when it was first announced. The only thing we knew was that it would focus on Psylocke, uh, and that's great. But it's also going to include Cable and X-23, young Cable, by the way, because uh, old Cable was murdered by young Cable in uh, X-Force by Ed Brisson. And so these characters that the book will focus on are all characters that feel weird about being in Krakoa. They don't feel like they necessarily belong, and so they're dealing with that. So, Did they say anything about Marauders? They did, but Marauders hmm. is the book we knew the most about. Ah, okay. Yeah. So was it confirmed then that Kitty's the red... Um, no? Okay. It's, it's, it's interesting that Sean skipped over the pirate book. There was <laughs> nothing... I didn't feel like they said much... To be honest, I, I really don't. Uh, 
they've they've been more forward about it recently. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, that was the panel. Uh, the one thing we also glossed over was they showed us preview images of Powers of Ten number six, which you know by the mm. time you listen to this may not be relevant for you. You may have read it already, but uh, Moira's in it. She was one of right. the characters on the panel, and she's been gone for a while, so that could be huge. Um, so yeah, that was it. I enjoyed myself. I wish that uh, that Jonathan was there. I think he would have added a lot to it. It's weird that they didn't have much to announce, uh, but I assume that's for a good reason. So you know, we got a free co- a free comic. We got Powers of Ten number five variant, which will only exist for people who went to that panel. So that's really cool too. And uh, yeah, couldn't be happier. Resale value. Jesus. But Mark is a shark. Speaking of the X-Men, we are going to get into our review of the last issue of House of X, House of X number six. Ah, uh, yeah. So, House of X number six, I will say up front, was nothing like what I thought it was going to be. And that's because I came into this issue expecting big revelations, uh, you know, seismic movements. And that's probably, probably was a mistake. But it didn't hurt my ability to enjoy the issue at all. This issue is very much more about establishing the government of Krakoa and who would run it and what some of the laws would be and where everything that we have seen and the success that Charles and, and, and uh, Magneto and Moira have had in their endeavors, where, that, where does that leave the X-Men? And it leaves them in a place of hope which for me was absolutely beautiful, and I'm dying to know what you guys thought about it. Um, it was a really good issue. Um, it was really ominous, too, at times. Um, so the beginning of the issue kind of leaves us in the same situation that we've been the entire time, which is it's it's a month in the past, and we don't see Xavier's face still. And as the issue progresses... You know, we are introduced to this government, and it's not just the laws that we're introduced to, but the tone of their punishment. And yeah. it's 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 frightening. And it Hickman has done a really good job of establishing what exactly Krakoa is and what it's about. And that's what this issue really is. It's what it was about. I found I found that scene uh, with with Sabretooth's trial and punishment to be really really compelling because I think w- we all agree and I've said a lot that one of the most effective things about House and Powers is its portrayal of politics, and uh, I think it's really really interesting and. I guess depending on how it plays out, kind of telling uh, about Hickman's worldview um, in the way that, Sean, to your point, right? Like the the takeaway of this issue is a message of hope, right? For, for the mutants that like this is a new age for them. And this is like an opportunity for, you know these children and and the the mutants who are civilians, to like lead a normal life and live in this Eden and have a chance at 
developing a culture and and um and those are really great positive things but professor x like makes the commentary right of that like yo like what we just did was unsavory and i don't think that any of us should feel good about it but like us having to make these hard decisions is what allows that hope to be possible is yeah. what makes Krakoa possible. And that is a really, really, really interesting take and one that I'm excited to explore more as the X-Line progresses down this, this path because I think that that is a... Right, there's that saying, like, um, heavy is the the head that wears the crown, right? Yeah. And I, I think that's a super, super salient thing because you look at like politicians and I think that there's like this double-edged sword of looking at them as like regular people, but also larger than life figures. And like these, this group of people are the most powerful mutants in the world. They're the leaders of this new nation and more importantly of the future of their species. And, like, that is going to come along with a lot of really unsavory stuff and a lot of hard decisions that have to be made. But, like, to me, it seems like Hickman is saying, however, that's the right thing to do. And I wonder if that's actually what he's saying or is that chicken going to come home to roost in the future? And much like all these other puzzle boxes he set up for that for us, I'm fascinated to find out what the answer to that question is. See, what I got, what I got out of that was it's it's necessary and it just made sense for the story as well like it was a great great moment like yeah, loved yeah. it it was awesome right and it really it shows that hickman has been thinking about this just as much as we've all sort of been led to start thinking about it um and this makes sense for for the x-men who are now becoming much more sort of they're becoming militaristic in their style, right? This is becoming cultish to an extent. And this makes sense. You, what you do is you make demands. You don't make negotiations, right, at this point. And the, your first step in a new society is, okay, we, this is how we establish the, the rules. And you have to make an example. There's, there's always people that you have to go after 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 that you take over. Right? At once power is exchanged, you always have to go after something. You have to do something because you have to show the populace that whatever you're introducing, this starts day one. Yeah, yeah. I think I think that's a really good point. That this book needed a, we needed to see the result or the consequences. For disobeying the laws that are established here. We should talk about what those are. Um, so the first law, I guess, that we're introduced to is the law that you can't take a human life. And because the, the mutants can't die, uh, even though squabbles among themselves are not, they're frowned upon, they're not going to be deadly because the person is going to come back but humans can't do that so they agree that there will be no taking of human life but they also hit smartly establish that there's a difference between uh, killing and murder I think is how they put it 
Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I think Magneto specifically says that like there's a difference between killing a person in cold blood or whatever and defending your country. Right. So I I really like that element of it, and then to to show what the consequence is, they bring Sabretooth in. And I loved the moment when he's talking all his trash and Emma and and uh, Jean team up to just subdue him, <laughs> which is yeah. fantastic. And Sinister's reaction to that as well. <laughs> Dude, I am so here for the sassy Sinister. I love him. <laughs> I have to say, it's the drool that really brings the whole outfit together. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. It's it's, it's so it's funny. Um, I uh, Marco and I both laughed at this. So the laws the laws they establish in order is murder no man, uh, respect the sacred land, and uh, Make that tweet more you mutants. mentioned the other day. What's that? Make more mutants. Right. Uh, you alluded the other day that Hickman had a tweet that. A group of ravens is called a murder, and a group of mutants is called an orgy, and Nightcrawler is one thirsty fuzzy elf. Uh, yeah. And on the next <laughs> and on the next page, where it's almost like, you know, the Ten Commandments or, or the Three Commandments. The, the Bill of Rights. They've been reorganized in order. <laughs> and the way they were introduced is murder no man, respect the sacred land, make more mutants. On that page Make more mutants has been moved right to the top. Yeah. So objective number one is to fuck. We got away from what I was trying to get at, which is the cost of what Sabretooth did way back, yeah. which is, uh, he, you know, he, he, he he's obviously killed humans. Um, they sentenced him because they can't kill him. He, he'll just come back, obviously. They sentenced him to uh, <laughs> forever in isolation. <laughs> Trapped Insane. inside Kakoa, um, which, yeah, which I thought was weird because technically murder, or technically death has less of a significance anymore, right? Like yeah. to like, like to me, I, I was just like, oh, okay, they're gonna kill him, and that's it. They just have a backup of him, and they have his DNA. We're good. When we want to bring him back, we'll bring him back. Well, they want him to pay for his crimes. And suffer. Uh, yeah, w- which is I, I get that part. I thought it was interesting though. Where like we can't kill him because then we'll right. he'll, we'll just resurrect him. It's like just don't resurrect him then. You know. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't. I don't see why they would have killed him anyway. Though to be honest, um, because he's a mutant, and yeah, they very much are about mutants being risen up. And I think killing him is wrong. I like. I, I don't think that would have been the right thing to do, but you're you're also right that that was why they don't why they don't kill him. They could it seems to me like that's avoidable. So yeah, it's just weird because it's like like oh, killing him would be the wrong thing to do. It's like oof, man, like this punishment is I feel like so much worse than death. <laughs> yeah, this this part of the book really plays into. The very dystopian kind of overtones that we see from Krakoa, because not only was he sentenced for 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 committing crimes against laws that were not even created yet, right? They 
effectively put him into a permanent hell. He is in ice, he's in solitary confinement where he will be in stasis, alive but immobile, aware but unable to act on it in perpetuity. Um, that is, that is a, that is as bad as a punishment as there can be. Yeah. You're not even given the relief of death. It will never come for you. Um, Especially yeah, and, the, and they say like, oh, you might be able to redeem yourself one day, but like, we'll talk, we'll talk about it later. Right. And it's like, that's fucked, man. And like, our, 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 obviously our criminal justice system is incredibly flawed, but you know, when, when, uh, a, a person commits a crime and is convicted of something that there is an opportunity for for bail or or, or uh, you know for um, someone to to be released and you know, reviewed and possibly re- released. There there are you know times put up every you know it's like in ten years we'll re review your case and depending on you know um, how your behavior has been in prison and all that, maybe you'll be released or whatever, or maybe you'll be released early. You'll get parole. Uh, there's nothing like that. There, there are no <laughs> Sabretooth is really given a shaft here. He, as, as, as he says, he's the, he's being made an example out of. So but, but still, it, it's, it's still worn It's still war times, right? Like, like technically for the mutants, it's still war times. So to what Magneto said, if it's murdered, it's done in the defense of a nation. I mean, like that. I think plays out here. Like it, it, as much as they're gonna address it later, this is this is a, still a showpiece. And ideally, I mean, he's the only one they're gonna get to him, right? Honestly, like I, I this whole thing is so interesting to me because it's super like it's really uncomfortable. Because I think the point that Phil made is like what really sticks out to me is like, right, like in a in a vacuum. Yeah, Sabretooth sucks. Like and half the people who are given the task of trying him have a history with him and hate him. So like it's a pretty skewed trial, right? Like he's being tried for a crime for, for something that wasn't even a crime when he did it, and they were talking about how everyone was going to get amnesty and all this stuff, and effectively, I feel like this decision is made um, when Magneto says, I gave you strict instructions when I sent you on your mission, and you did not listen. You made your bed creed, let, you, um, let your sleeping in it serve a higher purpose. And granted, yeah, they're making an example out of him, but I feel like the bigger issue, because to your point, Sean, right, they're all about mutants, they're all about amnesty. Think about the fucked up shit that some of the people at this table have done, right? There are so many killers at this table, and we're judging him for that. I think it's because he's a mad dog that can't be controlled. He doesn't fit in the plan anymore. And it's easier to tie off that loose end than it is to like than to not make an example out of him. It's like two birds. I think if any one of those people though had just killed humans and had just gone against the grain, they would have received the same punishment. Because in the establishment of this nation, the most important thing for them publicly has been complete unification but also trying to establish themselves as a, as a legitimate sovereign nation. And so if I go to any other country right right now and commit a murder, that's going to be a problem for both countries because I'm foreign to that one, right? So um, 
we have to look at it the same way at this point because they're in a different space right now. And so I think what Sabretooth did is way worse in that context than any other point in the history of mutants. I, I definitely agree with what you're saying. I think it's just interesting given what h- how they act about it in that first issue. Like when Scott is saying like, yo, it doesn't matter. Like he's with us now. Like, And to your point, like I think if somebody went and did one of those things now – that would be the case. But now the rules established like Sabretooth did those things beforehand. And like, I, I do think it's an interesting wrinkle because like, I also think that like, if he didn't immediately come out of the bubble and be like, I'm going to kill everybody in this room. Like that conversation might've gone a little bit differently too. You know, oh, like no. professor X and Magneto knew what they were going to do. You think? Oh, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It, it It's surprising to me that, Someone like Nightcrawler went along with it. Yes, I I mean... I think we have to have a revolution in thought the way we think about these characters now. They, When we saw them shake hands with Apocalypse, that's the moment where we need to realize they're not down with what they were down with before. They have a different motive and a different agenda, and that agenda is harsh. Look at what they've been through. You know, if you're an X-Men fan... For any amount of time, you understand that these characters have been through hell. Sick, what, 16 million people? Imagine if something killed 16 million people on Earth. You know, that's crazy. And yeah, they have the ability to resurrect them now, but the struggle that they've been through, it requires you to behave differently and think differently and respond differently. And Jonathan Hickman is showing us, what he's telling us through this is that there will not be mercy. There will only be mutants. And if you're not down with exactly what he's saying, you got to go. It's the, the, the thing that I think is meant to be imparted upon the, the reader is that the cost of the society what at, at truly at what cost uh sabretooth has been completely stripped of his freedoms there's something inherently un-american about about this type of judge jury and executioner They're type of punishment i know i know i know but most people who are going to be reading this are hickman is i, I think he's going to be is trying to play on what his audience is familiar with this this seems very cruel and unusual. Right. And I have to imagine Sabretooth is going to play a major role later. Yes, that I completely agree with. Mm-hmm. I think that will play in either the undoing of Krakoa in all this or the attempted undoing of all this. I think someone's going to let him out. Yeah. Without question, I, I, I think, I think, I think we're gonna only see more and more kind of allusions to the the classic trope of the seeming the seeming utopia that's actually a, a dystopia. Just yeah, but like a um, homogenized dystopia. I would be so disappointed in that. That's what's happening. <laughs> but like. I don't want that. It, but that's I, what you're seeing. No, 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 no. I meant like, 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 if if it was all to be undone, 
Like as much as you, we, we we know that it happens, right? I need to sit in this. I, I think you will, though. I don't think this will be undone for a few years. If you had been at this panel, you would definitely have gotten the impression that it's not changing. Like I don't, I don't think that that's the case. But I think that like more what Phil's saying is that like I think that there. There, like this issue, right, does have that message of hope, but that the, the message is that like there's a cost to that, and I think what he's saying is that at some point that cost is going to have to be paid. Yeah, and I think that 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 is going to take the shape of either dissent from within that will you know free Sabretooth and cause a schism or a divide, um, and that could take a million different shapes, you know, uh, or it could be. You know, um, it, 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 I mean, it could be any number of things, right? Like, that's the thing. We have so many pieces on the board right now. It's not even right. worth speculating. But I, I think the the dark moments of this issue are are definitely things that I think we're meant to, like, take notice of and ruminate on. I think the imagery of Professor X, we don't see his face. And one of the things that... Um, we noticed during our read through because Phil Mark, when I actually read the, the uh, issue together is that Magneto is the one who's presented in like both his dialogue and in visual representation as being level headed and like positive. It's not just that he's, he, what, what, when are we, when have we ever known Magneto to wear all white? That's well, a that's a color of virtue. That's what I was just saying in the imagery, right? Like there, he's he's in blue light a lot of times too. Like we get these shots of his face, and he's got blue behind him. Professor X is bathed in this that sinister glow of the pink, you know, and in these and the red, these very hot colors. Like there, one of the it's like the third or fourth page. Uh, there's a scene of Magneto or uh, Professor X talking, and then Magneto talking, and it's red to blue. And it's like a clear contrast. And like even that moment where Magneto, he says like, hey, man, like anything that was between us, any disagreements we've ever had, I want you to know like it's it's buried. Like we're boys. I trust you. Like we like we got this. And like Charles just smirks. And it's that cut again of like, Sean has called it out a few times. I think I called it out in the last issue of just like how important the fact that we haven't seen his face and the way that they portray his face and the way that he emotes, like, those things are important. Like, that scene, right? Magneto has his hand on his shoulder. He's being very earnest. He looks him in the eye, like, and we see Magneto. We don't see Professor X. And he doesn't say anything. He doesn't, me too, buddy. You know, like, no. And I that means something. It must. I want to make a point. You mentioned Magneto's costume. That's not new. He's had this costume since Bendis' run, so it, it wasn't. Oh, that explains this. a lot. Yeah. What? But was the switch? Was that when he was leading the X Men? Uh, I don't. I don't really know. I, I don't. I don't remember. I just know that he's had this costume for a long time. Okay. Um. Uh, uh, random yeah. theory. Yeah. Um. But you know how they've been mentioning that we've ne- they've never tried putting another mind into another mutant's body? Yeah. What if the reason we haven't seen Moira is because she couldn't do it. She couldn't get her and go without Professor X. And this is 
Moira as Professor X. Is that plausible at all? Okay, so Moira's in this issue. Um, Separately? Oh, she's so, at the beginning, Yeah, yeah, right? she's in the yeah. beginning. There so is the, what, I, so what I have said is that Moira is not currently involved. That The, the, the first scene showcases um. Moira, Professor X, and Magneto. And notice... This, this, I very much get the impression this is the first time that Professor X puts that helmet on. Now, coincidentally, this is also the last time that we see Moira before all the, like, House of X stuff starts. She hasn't appeared in the current, like, most recent stuff at all. So, I think that's very interesting and worth looking at. So, you think this issue is further back in the timeline than the other stuff we've seen. Well, it, it says no. it's a month ago. Yeah, the, 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 I think the the very first few pages were from a month ago, but then once we start actually getting to the Council of like Krakoa, that's present day. Yeah, and she's that's, not in there. That's our... Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. Okay. That's okay. our launch off to, um, you know, uh, probably like Dawn of X. Yes, yeah. Like, because Powers of X, is, Powers of Ten is going to obviously play with the timeline and stuff. Uh, jump to the future and stuff. That's gonna be bigger picture stuff, I imagine. This, this is the. I think this is the more direct, like launching off point for something like Dawn of X number one. Something I, I thought was interesting. The the Moira wrinkle during the panel. Um, somebody asked about like kind of what was up with that, and the answer that we got was that Moira is not a character that you'll see every month, but when you do, it'll be important. So. I don't know. I don't. I guess I don't have a point after that. All right. But that that colors what Sean is talking about for me. Like I, I again, I think that's significant, and it, that is a significant clue. And uh, we do know, as Sean said before, that she will be in this final issue of Powers of Ten. Yes. So. Right. I want to talk about a couple of other moments and things that happen throughout the issue. Uh, I thought it was really cool how Wolverine goes up to Gorgon and gives him a beer. It's it's like a very much an offer yeah. there. Um, yeah. Their history together obviously is well told and really bad and bloody. So that means a lot. Uh, Wolverine is the least likely character of all the X-Men to forgive. And there's an argument to be made that other than Sabretooth, this is his worst enemy. So I made a... Uh, yeah. I made a joke because he went and split a six-pack with um, Scott and Gene, and I said, one for you, Scott, one for you, Gene, and four for me. <laughs> Did you guys get the the idea, by the way, that there was some kind of... Uh, Sexual tension? Uh, more than that, like oh. uh, an agreement, like a, a, an unspoken... Yeah, yeah. Right? yeah, 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 yeah. There's like a, this like smirk and a smile, and he's like there. Yeah, it's so funny because the way like uh, we're we're looking at the page right now, and <laughs> like the way that Scott's hand is, it kind of looks like he's like like tickling Wolverine's belly, and he's like laughing. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like he's like. <laughs> I- Boss. 
Oh, Scott, you hoes are move aside. Xavier said we're supposed to make more mutants, Gene. <laughs> I want to put another Canuck in you. You need a bull, eh? Ooh. Uh, <laughs> that's disgusting. I also want to point out that Apocalypse is sitting all alone. And the implication that I get from the art direction is that he is nearby and potentially observing Professor X and Magneto. And he is the third prong of that. Um, and I, 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 I'm I, not sure what we were intended to get out of Apocalypse sitting here. But personally, I got a, a feeling that he's he's kind of like happy, but doesn't know how to showcase that. He spent all of his life crusading yeah. for this goal he got it but he has no relationship to anybody that's here right. i'm i'm glad that you felt that way too because yeah. i um that was how i read that as well because like i i felt like it was it was very much meant to be like him kind of like like he's achieved what he always set out to do but like he is so far removed from his um for lack of a better word humanity at this point that like he can't celebrate. He can't join in that celebration, even though, you know, it's a huge victory for him. Yeah. I don't know. So my thought is in it's, it's it. There's two panels with him explicitly featured. And the top of it is it's reason to celebrate it. And he's not celebrating and to your point, maybe it's because he doesn't have a relationship to any of these people and doesn't really know how to celebrate or to what Pete said, and he doesn't really have humanity. But you're right. He is just kind of watching Xavier and Magneto. And if any of these characters, other than maybe Mr. Sinister, had was playing the long game here, it would be Apocalypse. That's very interesting. I feel the exact opposite. I think well, the, the, and there's kind of like an ominous red lighting behind him too. Yeah, uh, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if it, uh, if how he, uh, if if his long game here is at odds with what the other characters are doing. I would, I think that would be unfortunate because. If you think about it, in my eyes anyway, Apocalypse is the villain who's present with the least reason to plot against Professor X and Magneto. Yeah, they achieved what he wanted. I don't I don't you know? see why he would uh go against something that's that's exactly what he's worked towards for his entire existence. I very much believed him when he like when they extend the offer and he's like why would I like fight you? Like you like, I feel like in a way he's like, you realize I was correct. Yes. You know, like, yeah. So like, even if, even if you did it in a way I wouldn't have, who gives a shit? Well, and that's, that's actually really interesting too, right? Because we've seen what happens when Apocalypse gets his way. We get the age of Apocalypse, which is horrible. And this is. Oh, well, and it doesn't even result in him getting what he wants. Right. Uh, the, the, the difference between him and anyone else there is that he's a complete megalomaniac. And he yeah, he does want mutant supremacy, but he wants to be the head of that mutant supremacy. He shares a piece of that. 
but the age of apocalypse is the age of apocalypse um as it is now he has to cooperate with all these other people he's a voice on a council uh it's fine for now for him but you know what happens if there's more like seeds of dis of dissent because of how he thinks things should be done yeah i'm not saying that's how it's gonna go but i think that's one possible foreshadowing of that page i think that you're right it is a it is a way to look at it without question and also to be honest uh anything can happen and that's what's so interesting about this space is that we can have a conversation about apocalypse being a hero just as easily as you can say that he could be a villain and we're in a place where either of those could be right and that's so cool i think short term he's got to be a hero we we see him in in several books obviously going forward i i and i think that's a deliberate novelty that they're playing with. It's interesting because I, I think I think there's definitely a chance that what you're saying is correct, Phil. But I, I kind of hope it's not because mm. I'm way more interested in that because I feel like we've seen the natural and extreme conclusions of what Apocalypse can do as a villain. And I think what Teeny Howard was saying and about her book, about how her book is about uh, one of the major themes of it is that now that mutant kind has a home, they can have a culture. And one of the things she specifically said was that, like, Apocalypse is on that team. And a lot of people were like, what? And she said, you know, Apocalypse has lived as a warlord, like, his whole life. And now he has a home. And, like, he has things he wants to do and things he wants to create instead of destroy. And that's fucking way more interesting to me because what the hell is that like? Like, imagine a world where Apocalypse becomes a hero, where Apocalypse becomes a leader of people, of mutants where he becomes someone who creates instead of destroys imagine what somebody with his kind of power and experience can create that's fascinating apocalypse is like an ra (laughs) what yeah i'm fuck man whatever like shit he's got to go to like a liberal arts college and find himself (laughs) (laughs) he he you're right he's a warlord and what happens when a warlord wants to expand but hey guys, similarly, guys, what ha- let's let's just let's move on. Yeah. There's, there's other stuff to talk about, and I think that we've gotten it across. Uh, okay. I want to talk yes. about the art because the art in this issue is really phenomenal, um, and it's unfortunate that Marta Gracia was not able to complete this book. Uh, I don't know if you guys could tell from the art itself, but he actually was not alone. Uh, on this one because there was a certain point at which he was no longer capable of continuing so he was assisted by david curiel on colors uh and i think that david did a good job i mean for the most part the book looks consistent right yeah yeah i I would say this this issue doesn't look out of place yeah and like that's really all he needed to achieve yeah absolutely uh shout outs to him on that one big time and uh, Pepe Big Laraz, shoes to fill. Yes. Pepe Larraz is just brilliant, man. I mean, you look at Professor X's faces. Like, he's he's just able to convey so much in just a smile or a smirk or the differences between those things and our ability to judge that and tell what, tell what he's intending in some instances, but in others 
be left unsure. And one of my favorite panels of the entire issue is the one on the uh, second page where we see the behind, behind, the over the shoulder on Professor X, and that smirk. And it's so consistent with Powers 5, the way he smirks mm-hmm. at uh, Forge. And Evil. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, yeah, speak to the art. Talk about art. Uh, it was awesome. I mean, it's it's been a consistently powerful book. Everything about it, uh, the way that he combines nature with, you know, some of like the tech stuff. Uh, there's elements of just like sci-fi all over the place. This is just spectacular art. Like the, that's it. That's all it is. You know, it, it elevates the the story on so many levels. Yeah, and I mean, we already talked about. A lot of the use, like the clever use of color to present dichotomy yep. and stuff like that. Um, I have praised it time and time again, but Jesus Christ, the use of pink and blues in this book gives me just all of the feelings. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it's. I think that this this is this book is representative of the best that the medium has to offer. You know, it's when really smart, thoughtful writing matches up with you know, um, well-realized art that, like Marco said, not only, like, uh, contributes to the storytelling, but elevates it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just just a brilliant performance overall. And this is the bow for Pepe and uh, Marte, obviously. Uh, so, you know, thank you for the contribution. And uh, I think it's, at this point, it's not arguable uh, LaRaz is one of the best artists in the entire industry. And yeah. this elevated his game to another level. His, not his game, but his profile. He's been bringing it for yeah. years, but now people know. I am not, because neither of them is carrying over to the new stuff, right? Uh, Something was teased that Pepe will be okay. back, but we don't know where. Okay. We don't know how. All right. So that's good to hear. That is my one gripe leaving these events and going into like the new age of X stuff. Like I'm going to, I'm going to miss this art team a lot. Yeah. Definitely. And I really hope that the, the, these three creators unite again as soon as possible. Cause the, they've been firing on all cylinders, you know? Yeah. 100%. To be honest, there's so much more that I feel like we could say about this issue. Uh, I plan for us to have a, a an overall wrap conversation on the entire thing at some point down the road. So stay tuned for that. Um, we're Sounds gonna, good. We're going to break this thing down. And next week is Powers. And then the week after that is X-Men number one. So as long as the group Jeez of Louise. us is still into it, we will be talking about X-Men books on this podcast. Bro, I'm down to follow all of these books. Let's do it. Yeah, so I'm down to follow some of these books. <laughs> well, let's do it. <laughs> Phil, do you want to say you're down to follow none of these books? I guess I have to. That would be the corner. How dare you fucking disrespect Hickman like that? All right, back to Project Leviathan with me. <laughs> hey, guess what? That comes out next week. Ha ha. Uh, yeah, wait. Yeah, <sighs> you fellas forget to put on your pull list. 
<laughs> so I wish I could forget so, that it was a book. We're going to leave it there. Uh, we want to hear from you guys. Reach out to us about our New York Comic Con interviews. If you were there as well, talk to us about some of the things that you experienced and what you enjoyed about the event. I'm sure there have to be listeners that were there because there's so many people who are at that event. Um, so hit us up to talk about that and your thoughts about uh, how House resolved. Um, again, we are the Comics Pals. You can catch us on all forms of social media at the Comics Pals. You can write to us at the Comics Pals at gmail.com and share all of this stuff with your friends. Let them know that we're out here, that we're doing something that you enjoy. Uh, leave reviews on your platform of choice. Make sure you leave us the best possible review you can that you think we deserve. And, uh, yeah, all those things are free to do. They help us out a lot more than they cost you to do. So uh, we appreciate each and every single one of you. Plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining us here on another episode of The Comics. Pals, if you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, come follow me and check out all the pictures I posted of our stuff. Um, and like Sean said, go check out our Instagram. There's the rest of my photos up there. Tons of awesome cosplay, shots of some of our interviews and stuff like that that you can look forward to. So go uh, go check that stuff out. It's real cool. Um, and then uh, please get in touch with me and talk to me about the X-Men. I am so excited about X-Men right now, and it feels good to be at least partially back on the Marvel train um, for the first time in quite some time. So I'm excited to talk about it and uh, about what's coming next. Uh, if you want more of my work, you can find um, everything I do over at PeteAndBessie.com or go visit me over at LootPots.com where I host the weekly Nintendo podcast, The Potscast, and the Patreon-exclusive show, After Dark. Um, so yeah, if you want more of me, I'm all over the place. Marco. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Marco Animoto. Uh, come talk to me about the books that you guys got. Uh, I want to hear about that swag. Uh, all the books you got. Let me know. Let's talk about them. Phil. Uh, yeah. Um, make sure you check out our New York Comic Con stuff. Uh, as we've said before, I interviewed Declan Shalvey and Al, uh, Al uh, Ewing. Those were both really good. So you'll want to watch those. Uh, we should have a filmy in up this weekend. You'll want to check that out. Um, oh, and the Comic House vlog is coming back, too. Oh, there you go. Um, uh, I'll post the commission. I, I had Phil CV do for me on uh, Instagram if you want to see that. And uh, um any uh, other stuff we got, we'll be posting uh, on, on social media as well, so you'll want to check that out. Um, otherwise, just follow me at Cyborg Bebop. As for me, I am on Twitter and Instagram only, at Sean Soapbox. Uh, hit me up to talk about the X-Men. Long live the X-Men. And with that, we are the Comics Pal signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week, mutants. Bye. I know how this is going to end. Uh, in about two years, Jonathan Hickman's going to leave when his contract expires and go to D.C. And so they're going to scramble to wrap this up so they can give it to Scott Lobdell to do X-Men vs. Avengers 2.